Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me shortly will be Peter Salmon. I feel incredibly frustrated at the moment because I still have about 18 minutes to record before I can turn my fans back on. I am desperate to turn my fans back on because uh, I'm sitting here and sweltering... Um, podcasting booth uh here at home uh and i don't have air conditioning and it's been super super hot lately not as hot as it's been out in bc or in um pakistan where it was it was so hot the other day that it was literally testing the human tolerance for heat and humidity it was like 52 degrees celsius so taking that uh into account i can live with well, the temperature says 29. The temperature on my computer says 29, but I don't think the Humidex is there because it feels hotter than that. And uh, be a great time to go to the movie theater and sit in air conditioning for two hours, but can't do that either yet. And Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be... The new animated adventure, Luca, which you can now stream on Disney+. Plus. So speaking of days gone by where we could, you know, sit in the movie theater, we're going to revisit another summer movie season from the past. Uh, this week we're going to do 1991. Um, not a big summer in terms of box office, but definitely a big summer in terms of, like, sequels and um, movies that also, like, they they do have some kind of longevity, though. Uh, cult classics, if you will. Uh, there were, however, a lot of bombs, and uh, we're going to try and cover as much of that ground as humanly possible. So let's get started. On May 1st, they re-released Citizen Kane, which was obviously not a new movie in 1991. It was the, the 50th anniversary restoration of Citizen Kane. Um, kind of a, a difficult... Uh, I mean, restorations are, are, are especially if it's year old movies, are normally difficult. But there's also a myriad of rights. Um, the rights to Citizen Kane changed hands many times over the years, and so there was something of a minor miracle that it was able to be re-released at all. Although, if memory serves, uh, I think there was also an HBO TV movie. If not at the same time, roughly shortly after it was about the making of Citizen Kane, that uh, may have may have pushed things along. Uh, on May 10th, we get the release of Madonna, Truth or Dare, which was supposed to be like a concert movie about her Truth or Dare tour, but ended up becoming this, because it was Madonna and it was 1991, it was kind of a lightning rod about some of the explicity um, in, in the film that is, is relatively pretty tame. Um, given today's standards, but it, you know, it, it, you can see in it sort of the beginnings of reality TV, sort of the beginnings of sort of celebrity stalker culture. Uh, it, it's kind of very influential that way, and uh, still one of the highest-grossing documentaries of all time. On May seventeenth, we get "What About Bob," which was kind of sold as this movie about a psychiatrist and a super eccentric patient. The the patient is played by Bill Murray. The psychiatrist is played by Richard Dreyfuss. But it gets dark 
dark with a capital D <laughs> uh, near the end. Like, I don't want to spoil it because I hope it comes out on, on Disney Plus at some point. Technically, it was released by uh, one of the Disney subsidiaries, um, but it, it has yet to emerge on Disney Plus. I hope it does, uh, even if it's just like their star service because again it is dark it was sold as this like sort of madcap hey look watch bill murray be funny and annoy richard dreyfus for 90 minutes and uh stuff happens at the end <laughs> on that same weekend you also get mannequin 2 on the move which is um one of two sequels that came out in the summer of 1991 that were not explicitly sequels but were kind of like thematic sequels and had like one or two elements um there were like one or two side characters from the original mannequin that came back for mannequin two, which had an completely different um, main characters and a new couple. Um, Naturally it was a bomb (laughs) because nobody was asking for a sequel to mannequin. Um, On May 24th, we get backdraft, which is uh, Ron Howard's movie about firefighters. Um, There's a whole procedural element to it about an arsonist on the loose um, it's about two brothers. Uh, one is played by Kurt Russell, who is the assured older brother, uh, experienced um, carrying on the family family legacy of firefighting, and and William Baldwin is the younger, less sure brother. Um, mostly known for its really great practical fire effects, which are pretty great. Um, but I mean, really, kind of nothing to write home about it. It's kind of soap opera ish as well. Um, that same weekend, Hudson Hawk came out, and Hudson Hawk was this. Big, supposed to be big. It was supposed to be promoted as this thing. It was the reunion of Bruce Willis and John McTiernan. They, of course, made the original Die Hard together. It was supposed to be that kind of cultural moment, but it bombed horribly. Hudson Hawk is kind of synonymous with Ishtar for uh, studio in excess um, falling <laughs> falling on its face. Uh, it is. It, I mean, there are some people who will defend it now, years later, but um, it is still well known for just bombing outright. Interestingly, that weekend, Thelma and Louise came out, and and people had just we we just sort of excitedly marked the the thirtieth anniversary of Thelma and Louise. It was probably the movie that made the least money uh, of the three. Actually, I can't be sure of that. I think Hudson Hawk probably made it. But in terms of like the three movies that came out that weekend, Backdraft was a hit. Thelma and Louise was kind of like a middle hit um but its cultural influence has made it like so much more bigger than it it was when it was first released on may the 31st we get soap dish again it's it's a smaller film but it really sends up soap operas beautifully and it has this wonderfully uh hilarious cast with uh sally field kevin klein uh robert downey jr Whoopi goldberg uh gary marshall even Carrie Fisher's in it. It is quite the wonderful little satire of, of, of soap operas. It, it's a lot of fun to watch. Um, speaking of Billy Crystal, who I believe, no, Billy Crystal was not in Soap Dish. I may be thinking of, there was a TV thing with Billy Crystal where he was in a soap opera. Anyway, on June 7th, City Slickers comes out. Um, City Slickers is probably best known for... Um, Jack Palance getting the Oscar for playing Curly in it, and uh, then 
doing push-ups, one-handed push-ups on stage at the Oscars when he accepted the award. And it's also sort of known for its kind of ridiculous sequel, The Legend of Curly's Gold, which is just kind of a silly title. Uh, on that same weekend, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead came out, which is just a great title. It's just, you know, <laughs> you don't get movies like that anymore. And it, it was, you know, it, it starred Christina Applegate, who was then like kind of riding high as one of the stars of Married with Children. And unfortunately, it was not terribly successful. And again, it was kind of like a darker comedy. It, it was This was an interesting year for these kind of darker comedies, like these smarter comedies. Highbrow, I guess you would say. Definitely not highbrow is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which came out on the 14th. Um, it had sort of a tumultuous production. Um, Kevin Reynolds and um, Kevin Costner. Um, Kevin Costner had just come off winning the Oscar for Dances with Wolves, so maybe a bit full of himself. This is one of those scripts that was that went through the script doctor process many, many times. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who plays Maid Marian, was pregnant during production like she <laughs> she got pregnant and at one point actually during production got visibly pregnant and this is before you could just like shave off some baby bump with cgi <laughs> so uh it it, it it was a tumultuous um production to say the least perhaps most well known for two things that brian adams song and alan rickman almost literally eating the scenery like just making a meal of it, uh, including one moment where he threatens to stab someone with a spoon, which had to be improvised. Uh, on January 21st, we get Dying Young, which was... Um, Julia Roberts had done a series of sort of romantic comedies at this point, so she was trying to stretch by doing a romantic drama. Um, she plays a nurse, and Campbell Scott plays a, a young man who has... Uh, I think he has leukemia in it. He has some kind of cancer that he is reticent to go through the whole chemotherapy treatment to to get himself healthy again and uh it is about their struggles with love and stuff uh it, better here's something better the rocketeer um which again is one of these movies that has a longer life um post-release because it kind of bombed when it came out which is a real shame because it's it's like really wonderfully pulpy fun action movie um some pretty good effects for the time and uh you know it really captures that hollywood golden era the square chat the square jawed hero the slimy villain um the, the gorgeous romantic interest uh <laughs> jennifer connelly spends most of this the, the second half of the movie in this beautiful white satin dress and uh on top of it all, you have Timothy Dalton, James Bond, as a Nazi spy. So, um, <laughs> really great. It's it's fun. It's it's funny. It's uh, campy, but in all the right ways. Joe Johnson, of course, went on to make Captain America: The First Avenger, um, and you can really see him taking a lot of stuff for a test drive for that movie in The Rocketeer. On June 28th, we get Naked Gun 2.5, The Smell of Fear. Interestingly, we get kind of uh, a separation of the Zucker, Zucker and Abrams team-up in this because uh, the Zuckers made uh, Naked Gun 2, but then later in the summer we get Hot Shots, which is uh, a send-up of the Top Gun movie, and that was done by Abrams. So it, it's interesting you get these two movies that sort of end up booking, bookending July because Hot Shots comes out on July 
uh, 31st. Uh, on July 3rd, we get Problem Child 2, which is, again, you know, was somebody... Was somebody wanting a Problem Child 2? Was... <laughs> it's, you know, the kid didn't learn his lesson from Problem Child 1. Whatever. Um, and then we also get, on that same weekend, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, um, which... I mean, for better or for worse, it's an excellent movie. I saw it on the big screen when it came out in 3D a couple of years ago. Money well spent. Um, but, you know, it, it gave people the wrong lessons. I mean, at, at the heart, the Terminator movies are slasher films. <laughs> if you watch that first film, it is basically Halloween, but with a robot instead of a guy, with a guy in a mask with, and a knife. Um, and Terminator 2 still recognizes that sort of nucleus, that sort of... Um, essential DNA of the material but just doing it in a bigger way with bigger set pieces and the problem with the, like the subsequent sequels Terminator 3 Salvation uh, Genesis Dark Fate is that it kind of forgets all that and gets wrapped up in a, in the mythology that it really ha there was no point to it to begin with um, on July 12th we get Boys in the Hood and Point Break again like not necessarily smash successes, but ones with very long influences. Indeed, um, on that same weekend, you also get Regarding Henry, which is uh, like J.J. Abrams' first big movie, as a writer anyway. Um, kind of a standard story about like Harrison Ford is a jerk. Uh, he's a jerk to his family. He's a jerk lawyer. Um, he, he is... He receives a brain injury. I believe it's in the course of like a, a a robbery. Someone shoots him in the head, and he survives. But he he becomes an entirely different person as a result. And there were a couple of different movies like this that came out in the early '90s that played on this very similar theme. It's like, what if everything changed, and your life could be something entirely different? And this was Harrison Ford's crack at the bat. On July 19th, we get uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and again. It wasn't as successful as Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but uh, it, 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 it does have a cult following, obviously since they bring back the death character for Bill and Ted Face the Music. Um, there's, there's a lot uh, still uh, in, ter in terms of appreciation that you know people are kind of revisiting these things and uh, finding new influences and, and finding new ideas. At least I, I think that's true. Um, that's one of the great things about movies is that you can go to the shelf or go to the streaming site and look something up that you thought was crap and then discover, no, actually, it is really, really good. It had really something interesting to say. Um, and then other times it's, you know, you go back and uh, thinking something was the best thing ever, Monster Squad, and uh, finding out that it was Horse hockey. I have to remember this is community radio. No swears. No swears. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're coming up on August here. Uh, on August 2nd, you get Return to the Blue Lagoon. And again, it's like tacitly connected to the original Blue Lagoon movie, but not really. This was like kind of the big debut for Mila Jovovich. Um, and that's probably about all that comes out of this movie. <laughs> um, you also get Rock-A-Doodle-Doo. Which is a movie from Don Bluth, who did uh, An American Tale and uh, Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Um, this is kind of like the the needier period for for Don Bluth. His his movies I don't think were ever um, 
terribly successful, and it, at least right up to the turn of the century where he makes Titan AE, which um, is has some interesting ideas, but is ultimately kind of a creative misfire. Um, you also get this weekend Doc Hollywood, which I think was like Michael J. Fox's first big hit after wrapping Family Ties and after um, finishing Back to the Future. And so it's like he's trying to move on to in a more quote unquote adult career with more sort of ambitious roles. And in this, he plays a, a doctor who's who's heading to Beverly Hills to become a successful plastic surgeon only to get uh, swept up in the affairs of this small town. And uh, hilarity ensues. Um, so then on August 19th, you get Double Impact. Two Jean-Claude Van Dams for the price of one. Uh, on August the 14th, you get the first part of Alan Parker's Berrytown trilogy with the commitments. On August 22nd, you get Barton Fink, this weird Coen Brothers movie that they wrote as they had writer's block for Miller's Crossing. And then we wrap up the summer with Child's Play 3, as we should. And... Uh, a haunted doll killing guys. Anyway, uh, we're going to turn to something a little more kid-friendly for the review this week. We're going to talk about Luca, the new Disney Pixar movie. After the break, you are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community Radio. Mamma mia, talk to Hercule. Are you hurt? Uh, well, my head Not you, Chicho! Out of the way! Piccolina, oh, if there is so much as a scratch. Oh. Someone got lucky today. Hmm? Who got lucky? Mm-hmm. Out of towners, eh? Let me welcome you! Benvenuti a Porto Rosso! Chicho? I'm delighted to meet you, number one. And number two, I love your stylish clothes. What did you get them? A dead body? <laughs> dead body? I'm kidding. Uh, look, Signor Vespa? Signor I... Vespa? <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> I am Marco Levisconti, five-time winner of the Porto Rosso Cup. The Porto Rosso what? The Porto Rosso Cup. Permille Sardine, how do you think I paid for my beautiful Vespa? And that was a clip from Luca. It is the new film from Enrico Casanrosa, and it stars the voice talents of Jacob Tremblay, Jack Dylan Grazer, Emma Berman, Marco Baricelli, Maya Rudolph, Jim Gaffigan, and Sasha Baron Cohen. I am now being joined on the line by Peter Simmon. Peter, how are you today? Yeah, doing good, doing good. Still just living through this, you know, COVID life. Uh, yeah, it's going good. Got my first vaccine. If you're listening, you know, go get your shot, y'all. Go get that shot. First, second, whatever it is, go get that. (laughs) 
thought you were going to say first, second, third, fourth. Just oh, get vaccine? Stuff. Yeah. Well, oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'd say 10 minimum. <laughs> I'm going to become a vax a month kind of guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think we have a guinea pig. Uh, <laughs> yep. If, if uh, drug companies are, are interested in testing the the virility of uh, a week of a monthly vaccine, which yeah. um, seems like overkill. Anyway. Yeah. I am um, in all seriousness. I'm very uh, proud that Canada, like racial wise, we're number one. Right. I, I, I like that mm-hmm. when it comes to vaccine all around, you know, not if we're going by second vax, but you know, I, in, a, in about a month, we'll be number one for that too. Yeah. I think yeah. that's true. Yeah. And uh, you're right. It's, uh, it's good to know that uh, we are not as uh, affected by the anti-vax crowd as other places. Yeah, we but, stepped up. I, I remember there was a, a couple weeks that was really disappointing in Canada, but uh, we stepped up in regards to the vaccine. So I'm really glad about that. Optimism. Yes. And uh, facing fears of the unknown. What a great segue to this week's film, uh, which is Luca, the new Disney Pixar film. And Peter, uh, you, after going through all the available options, decided that Luca was the movie you wanted to watch this week. So what uh, what made Luca look good to you? Well, I mean, it's a Disney Pixar, right? Well, of course I'm going to watch it. Um, even The Good Dinosaur, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I also, I, I told you, I'm just not a huge Kevin Hart fan. <laughs> that was the other choice, that film. Um, but no, I like to catch all the Disney Pixars, and... Um, since I'm leaving Guelph soon, I, I, you know, I've been trying to spend more time with my parents. My mom loves Disney Pixar, so it's just a great film to watch with your family, right? And I was kind of, I was feeling those vibes, feeling the family vibes. Hmm. I think it is the twenty-second Pixar Jeepers. feature. Let me just count yeah. them all. I always forget Car 2 and 3 are considered. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cars 2 and 3 happen. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Oh, it's the 24th, actually. Yeah. And this is the first one that I've seen in, uh, I'm not sure how long. I never saw Toy Story 4 and I never saw the Chris Pratt one onward. Mm-hmm. Something like that. yeah, something like that. So mm-hmm. it was really nice seeing a Disney Pixar for the first time in a while, because mm-hmm. um, it, it, it we're in the you know the day and age where animation every year changes right and becomes more beautiful and constructed in a different way. So since it had been a couple of years for me to see Disney Pixar, I was mm-hmm. um, it was outstanding. It was it was really it was breathtaking. I, my parents, it's also OLED, so it was <laughs> it was it was nice. It was yeah, it was it was beautiful. Yeah, I, I, it was. Um, I mean, technically, it was really well done. I like the 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 design. Um, I mean, you really got the the feel of Italy, the coast of Italy there, and uh, there were some really great bits that seemed like very kind of photorealistic that just kind of popped. A lot of the water scenes were were really well done. Um, a lot of the night scenes, the way they're lit, um, I liked a lot too. They're oh, just, beautiful! Yeah, just the right. Just the right atmosphere. So. Yeah. Oh, well, lighting in general is one of the things that's taken a huge step in the past couple of years, whether it be uh, Sony Productions, especially video games, or mm-hmm. the Disney Pixar films. Like, the way you saw the um, sun breaking through the clouds is just, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. 
and the uh, the small textures too, like the grass was outstanding. <laughs> Every little like thread of that grass, you know, was, yeah, very mm. well done. So the plot of Luca is that um, there are these uh, sea monsters uh, living. Although they're called sea monsters, they're not really terribly monstrous. And the sea monsters themselves don't really kind of correct. Like, you never find out their proper, like, were the snorkels or something, you know, that, that they, oh, they should have. Oh, the title, I never thought about that, yeah. Like, but yeah, just everyone in the, the, the human community is like, they're sea monsters. And they're like, I guess we're sea monsters, which, you know. Well, wh- they might not even, because there was other jokes about there being different terms they're not aware of. They might not know how uh, harsh the term monster is right but then even the sea like the 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 undersea creatures are calling humans land monsters and and they use it like oh, yeah you're right okay well well maybe it's just to them it's they view it as you know um a term for that just means a life form or something yeah and they use it interchangeably though like sometimes they say humans sometimes they say land monsters but we never find out like what are these creatures and like how do they consider themselves um, I mean, that's just kind of like one of like a lot of, I don't want to say plot holes because I think that term gets overused, but it just seems like one of the things that's just is not terribly well considered, um, in the plot of the film, it just, uh, you know, that we never, and the, the, the whole thing with the sea creature culture as well, where it's like they're on an undersea farm and the fish are sheep and they, they even like sound like sheep, um, and then even when they're on land, and Luca and his friend Alberto, who's also a quote-unquote sea monster, um, when they're on land and they're, they eat like this pasta dish with fish in it, and I'm like, isn't this like... I mean, maybe I'm just... I was thinking about The Little Mermaid the whole time, and like it was the whole, the whole thing was like disgusting that they were eating sea creatures, because no, the, all, no. the, all, the, all the sea creatures were like, all, were like anthropomorphic and talking and things, too. But well, it's I like... They showed in the beginning with those fish being sheep, they're, they're omnivores, right? Yeah, they're like I, above the little fish. I think you're being a little discriminatory, <laughs> viewing them equal to just those little, I don't know, whatever they are, tunas? Jeez. <laughs> I know I didn't even I didn't even I hadn't even thought about that. Also, the one thing I don't know if this was the intent. I kind of, in a weird way, enjoyed them not giving a title to the species because mm-hmm. we're supposed to like the whole point of the film is it doesn't really matter. They're they're equal to us, right? Like they're just mm-hmm. another being that we live with, you know. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hadn't really thought about that. It's also it's a Disney Pixar film. I don't know if the background of the uh, species needs to be too thorough, but. Um, I don't yeah, even. I guess, I guess for charts. The, the sake of discussion <laughs> of the film, it would be nice to have a title for their species. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, think, I, I don't I, think that was a major flaw. I don't need to read the textbook about their anatomy or anything. I'm just, you know, it's like we're the the briny people. I don't like. I don't know. We're. It just. It just seemed a bit odd that um, they would accept, you know, being called sea monsters. And but I mean, anyway. That's, I mean, that's a, like a little relatively <laughs> small thing, but it, it, it just is, it's also never explained why they, as soon as they're not wet anymore, they become human. 
because that feels like another kind of like little thing. It's like, well, they're worried about going up on land. The mom's always like freaking out about Luca, like, don't you go up on land? Don't you do it? And it's like, well, when you go up on land, you lose your scales and you look like a normal human. So why would you be afraid of going up on land? You just go up there, hang out a bit, go back to the sea. and Yeah, but his parents were aware of that because of what they were told, right? It was just generation to generations of making people too scared of the humans to want to go up there. Um, I know, but how you know, they would kill them, right? But, I mean, they, whenever they're on sur- the surface, unless it's, like, raining or something, they're in disguise. Like, they're cool. Yeah, but so there's rain. They, they're aware there's rain. Were they? If you get caught with the... Uh, well, they also, they just don't have a full understanding of it. They might think that even without the rain, people at some point might be able to get it. Uh, I also think the parents had been up either, and they did eventually get used to it, just kind of walking around and everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really think about... Uh, that either i um i guess them becoming human i don't know it's just it's what their species is so yeah i don't know this isn't it, it's not like a sci-fi it's a, it's a kid's film you know that that's not important uh i mean i i don't know it just i i could have it's one of these things that you know kind of nags at you at certain points, just you know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I and I hate nagging on on this movie because it it is. I think it's um, you know, it, it's very enjoyable. It's very it was, fun. Yeah, great. It's like I a, just think it was enjoyable. I thought I thought it was a phenomenal film. It was well made. I think it deserves the ninety uh, percent it has on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I don't hate it, and I would definitely recommend people. Just <laughs> that 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 bugged you, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if it bugged you like that, there will be some people it, it bugs. So I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't even thought about it. So no, no, it's it, I I like it because, and I know some people are kind of critical because it's it's kind of low stakes and it's you know, the 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 barometer for what makes a good Pixar movie seems to be like how like how existential it gets and like is there like a moment where the emotion like kind of crushes you and makes you fall apart. Like something like the beginning of up or the end of, of toy story three or the end of um, inside out. But you know, Pixar it's being all a... of inside out, <laughs> like every second of inside out, <laughs> but Pixar being a, a place with a lot of creative people, you know, not every movie has to sort of break you emotionally. Um, it, you know, this is a very great, very straightforward kind of fun summer adventure film. It, you know, it, it has a lot in common, I think, with like 80s movies like The Karate Kid where, you know, it's just um, oh, we're hanging out. Yeah, we're hanging out. We're, we're trying to, you know, change our <laughs> situations. We're trying to learn there's a bully in town that we have to give him his comeuppance. It just, you know, it's it's a very different types of Pixar movie, which that might mm-hmm. be. I think there definitely was some emotional parts, though. I think um, <laughs> the uh, the father-son uh, camaraderie with the um, main character's best friend and, you know, the story of his father, I thought that was that was him. Well, I don't want to ruin anything, but yeah, his his relationship with the father was... That was, that was my favorite. I really loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, just uh, that dad in general. Just it, not even the main character was great. It was just every single individual. And also, what you were saying, I'm just going off that the 80s, it gave a homage to that. It also mm. was giving a homage to a lot of 
uh, like late 50s, 60s films, like Roman Holiday, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Audrey Hepburn, you know, goes to Rome, meets some cool dude, some interesting, weird dude that's out of place and just <laughs> cruises around in a moped. And yeah, um, there's also a scene where there's a poster of Roman Holiday in the back. So it's mm-hmm. definitely it's definitely homage to it. And I really I thought that was cool. There's fun little small uh, sprinkles of enjoyment for um uh, the adults, the, the adults are, I guess, in that case, the grandparents will get right. And Disney Pixar is really good at that. Even yeah, if it's just kind of some small things, you know. It's one of those things where I was like trying to understand the whole time, like why is this set in Italy? There's, I mean, other than Vespa, there doesn't seem to be much call to. <laughs> Vespa you know, was the main part of it, like, you know. Yeah, it's like if you take out the Vespa, there's really no reason for this to be in Italy at all. But of course, the, I, the director was calling him on his own sort of background and his his own experiences in this well, part of it. Disney, Disney, they like uh, kind of mixing it up and showing other sides of the world, right? Yeah, sure. They they don't look. I they do love America, but they you know they try to accept. There's some set in China, you know. There's, there's a decent amount. There's some in India. It's you know it's all good. Um, I just, Af- it was, Africa. It, it's yeah, I like it. I like that they uh, set in Italy. It was fun to see Italy. It just there. There were times I was worried it was like an Isle of Dogs thing, where it's like Isle of Dogs was set in Japan because basically Wes Anderson wanted to, you know, do homage to a bunch of Japanese stuff, and it seemed like you know this it was kind of the same way. The director, what's his name, a director, uh, Enrico uh, Casanrosa. So. I mean, at least this is coming from a genuine place where he is coming from, you know, he was born and raised in Italy and he, these are kind of his own genuine experiences. This is not just sort of like, we need it to be kind of, we're going to set it somewhere foreign and, Would you know, be right by the water to too. And that's something yeah. like Italy, Italy is really great when it comes to that, you know, um, mm-hmm. and other places that have a similar terrain have already been like Coco, there's elements of. Well, actually, no, that's Mexico, not Spain. But, um, you know, there's some similar uh, terrain elements. And, and Moana, too, right? So it was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. That, I'm okay that they did Italy. It was just, you know. They had uh, done some other places. So they needed mm-hmm. Italy, like those places, to show some beautiful water and some beautiful land that's right next to it. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Spain would have worked, too. There is other places that I think would have worked. <laughs> but as you said, it's also the director. It's what he you know, what his uh, background is related to and, you know, the stories that he learned about. It wouldn't surprise me, and I actually regret not looking it up. There's probably some sea monster stories in Italian history that uh, are very similar to this. Um, mm-hmm. The only I, I only know, like, the ancient, like, the, the sirens and stuff, and it's not based off of that. But there's probably some later, or even around that time I haven't learned about. Um, very, very more similar to sea monsters. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I'm sure there. that's part of it too it mm-hmm. um, also i think italy is one of the places especially if it's by the bay um they're all their houses are different colors you know what i mean and that's just for animation that's really beautiful and stunning and it makes it seem even more realistic why they're so thrilled to be out of the water and into this new land well i mean as you said too like when you think about roman holiday or um a lot of different movies even like the sisterhood has the sisterhood of the traveling pants like italy is this like <laughs> Oh, it's, yeah. it's it's the natural summer romantic vacation spot, not necessarily yeah. romantic in a in a um, love sense, but just like romantic as a, like this 
idealized place where it feels you you, you go and you immerse yourself in some place that's both kind of foreign but also familiar um where it's the the vistas are beautiful and the people are friendly it, it just if you're gonna go somewhere on summer vacation it might as well be italy yeah so. it's just honestly it would have been hard to not do it in the mediterranean and france has already been used a lot you know yeah yeah no. <laughs> and uh, just going off of that when they do get on land i love a lot of the characters i think their best friend the uh the redhead daughter um she's Julia. really cool she's great yeah a little uh She's rugged, but she's she's fun. She's cool. Yeah, yeah. She's and really... I, I also what I really liked about it is there was no romance. You know what I mean? It was just mm-hmm. she was like a friend, and I, and I liked that. Mm-hmm. You know, she well, can I mean, be, it, she it, wants to be. It depends because a lot of people are reading like a a queer subtext to. Well, well, that's why I think they, it could. <laughs> but see, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily the case because there's heterosexual. Right. I don't know if this like Tom. I don't know if tomboy is appropriate, but you know, like there's heterosexual women who do have more of a male and androgynous kind of, you know. Um, but I can see why people think that because there was no, there was nothing sexual, and she does have what some would view as, you know, lesbian, yeah, like, aspects, I guess. But that's kind of just going off the of stereotypes. Or, but you know, <laughs> what what are was there any other kind of underground? like hints like kind of about well, there's, it or? there's two ways of reading it uh and one of them comes from the director and he did an interview where he said it, it, it's about like that t- like sort of pre-puberty time where you're not really thinking about yeah. the opposite sex like that and you're not thinking about romance but i mean there is and i, I just did the, the search like this morning really quick there is like this undercurrent that people have latched onto and i kind of i kind of felt it too that the alberto and um uh what's luca of course he's the main kid (laughs) (laughs) i forgot his name but for luca and alberto um are, are kind of sending out some some queer vibes too that they're uh maybe something more than friendship between the two of them um yeah, it's there's there's no specifics towards any of their sexuality, and right. I think that's on purpose. So it's really, it's up to it's up to us, and not even if the kids don't want it, it's not even really something they need to think about. It. It's just friendship, right? Just for great sure. friendship. But yeah. I think I think if even if this was not the director's intent, there is ex- more of an explicit emotional connection between Luca and Alberto than there is between Luca and Julia. I mean, Julia is is. Um, great in terms of like helping them navigate like the human world and introducing Luca to like books and what the real meaning of stars is and you know science and things like that. that. I know of right, but I don't know what those stars are. I'm not fully trusting Galileo <laughs> and all that stuff. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's for another podcast. <laughs> but in terms of like um, emotional resonance, um, that that is a that is a more profound connection between Luke and Alberto, especially in that scene where um, Alberto gets wet in front of Julia and, mm-hmm. and a couple of the other kids. And he, he's a sea monster and he turns to Luca and Luca points at him and goes, it's a sea monster. Uh, and it just like the sense of, I mean, it could be the betrayal of like one best friend betraying another, but it, it can also be really read as, you know, kind of like, 
gay panic and you know two two young men in the closet and one accidentally falls out of the closet and the other responding in a really it just oh absolutely the, the this is gonna, there <laughs> this is this is going to be and there's been a lot of Disney like it's going to be the one where like even though they don't say any of the characters are gay or anything like gay individuals like growing up are going to really they're, they're going to love it and they're going to you know relate to it and i think that's good i think you know mm-hmm. i think that's great i think it'd be even better if there was a disney film where there is you know a gay person but um I thought this, you know, this was uh, itself. It was good, you know. It could have could have been better, but uh, can still be used for um, people growing up and wanting to, yeah, feel uh, feel wanted, feel yeah. like they're a part of media, you know. It's. I mean, that's. I mean, in in the end, where the, the sea monsters are sort of welcomed and and are are sort of integrated into the community, it's it is a kind of really beautiful lesson. And there's a line that the uh, Luca's grandmother has near the end. Where they're talking about, you know, what's going to happen to Luca, you know, being up among the human world. And the grandmother says, well, there are some people who will never understand, but Luca seems able to find the good people. And it's just, it's it's really difficult to not, I mean, you can, in, encoded in that is, you know, anything, anybody who feels different from the, you know, the quote unquote mainstream culture and, you know, trying to be themselves. But I mean, again, it does, it is sending off these very. Well, it's uh, LGBTQ plus people that have to sincerely. Right. Not just worry about getting bullied, but worry about getting, you know, killed and, and true hate and political leaders legally allowed to fight against your rights, you know? Right. So I can see why that comment, yeah, was definitely meant for, um, yeah, people in the gay community. Um, and just with like the nature of the sea creatures, though, how it's like they just have to stay dry. If they stay dry, they pass as humans. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and it, after the younger generation, yeah, lets people know they're humans. Then in the town, you know, you see some. Right. I don't want to say who, but you see some older individuals. Turn out they are too. Yeah, yeah you know, they, and and that's something. Okay. And the the rise of individuals, you know, my generation, the or even younger generations, um, whatever they're called, the Generation Z and the, the EcoGen, um, mm. it's they coming out is helping older individuals come out. It's helping them feel comfortable in this community, you know. So I thought that was a really um, a fun little addition to what you were saying. Some some hints at equality and how you know it's the right path. Yeah, it's encoded in there, and I yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but not not in a forceful way. No, and I think the, the director could be correct that it was not his intention either. But I mean, sometimes these things take on a life of their own. I remember watching an interview because Conan O'Brien went off the air last week. I was thinking about like Conan O'Brien apparent like shows one of the one of the interviews that he did that really stuck with me is when he like had Jerry O'Connell on the show, and Jerry O'Connell was talking about going to university and he took a film course and he was in one of the films they ended up studying was stand by me and they were talking about like christ-like imagery and stand by me and he was like i there's none of that in there well how are you getting this i was in stand by me and i could tell you that none of that is is in the text of of yeah, the film we were making sense so it's yeah, just like at, at the end, all the people that die in it stay dead, right? That's the whole. Well, I don't like, think it was explicitly literal like that, but um, but um, I mean, just you know, the, the readings of films are sometimes outside of the control of of the yeah. If if people take the idea, it becomes a main idea, and, and individuals write about it, then it becomes 
real. It's real. It's it's there, right? I'm sorry the original director didn't intend for it, but for instance, know, it's there. For instance, uh, one of the things that confused me is like why the dad looks like Joseph Stalin. It oh, I never, I never saw <laughs> it. It seems really weird. And like for a minute, like for some strange reason, their cat made me think about Hitler. I thought the Hitler, their cat, kind of looked like Hitler. So yeah. I was like this is really weird. You have Stalin the dad. You have Hitler the cat. Um, Who's Fellini? Cr- <laughs> Well, this is the other thing, too, is at the end where it's, like, clearly an old-fashioned train. And I'm like, this is set in Italy. Are we pre-fash or post-fash? I'm not, I'm not oh, sure what post. It'd be post. I'm not sure what to root for here. I think, it, yeah, no, I know. I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing. It's around that era. Um, yeah, but I think this film, and they never say, and that's one of the beautiful things about Disney Pixar as part of the fun. But uh, I'd say it's, like, 60, 61, 62. Yeah, probably. I'd I mean, say, yeah, I'd say past past it, the 50s. It would fit very easily in with like that Fellini vibe. Yeah, um, yeah. Because it does feel like um, we're processing Fellini with uh, a side of Miyazaki. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the cat was also giving me Miyazaki vibes. It just it's it's like one of those animals from the Miyazaki films that like knows what's going on, but because it's an animal, it's it's kind of alone in its um, omniscience about what's going on in the movie <laughs> yeah oh absolutely um it, it actually there, there's a cat in i think whisper of the heart that's that's mm-hmm. very similar looking um yeah. so yeah i was I, I thought about that too um yeah it was yeah um i oh, feel like uh, i also what i want to add yeah because <laughs> we were talking about the characters i loved i absolutely loved the villain in this one I, I, I always enjoy Disney Pixar, and I think it's the best for the younger viewers they want to get into it. When it's a teenager, like just a real rapscallion, you know, like a bully. I like that. <laughs> this guy is just a true bully, but like 16, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think too for people like me, you know, it's fun just thinking back of like, you know, bullies and, and back in the school, or even like I could be a bit of a bully sometimes. So it's just a reflection on, you know, the whole school days and how there's people like that. Um, and, and yeah, he was just really. Really, really, really funny. Um, and his yeah. little uh, comrades was a cool a cool thing they had going. I think Pixar villains kind of work best when they're, they kind of, you could kind of like directly they're... understand their motivation. Like something, like someone like Sid from the first. That's Toy exactly Story. what I had been thinking of. Yeah. Or he's just, he's just a jerk. He just likes abusing toys where it's, it's, it's a bit different when you get to like Stinky Pete and Toy Story 2 where he's, his his motivations are complex and philosophical and um, yeah, yeah. nature of toys or um, uh, like the critic from Ratatouille. <laughs> you know? um, even the bad, I mean, Syndrome is the bad guy in the first Incredibles works, but I mean, I can't even remember who the bad guy is in Incredibles 2. I remember the set pieces from Incredibles 2. I don't necessarily remember the plot, but um, yeah, the, yeah, I just remember the kid thing. The kid's got a bunch of powers. Yeah, the bully in this, um, Ercole, Ercole Visconti, which sounds like a really great villain name. Ercole Visconti. You just want to say Yeah, yeah. It. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, again, that plays, like, really great into, like, kind of the 80s adventure vibe, because there's always some dick bully who's slightly older than the main kids, who's, you know, even in the Goonies, as they're trying to 
you know, get to the the treasure. Like there's, they're trying to evade the the other bullies. Well, we'll get you, Godes, and you know, it's it just it, it's 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 part of the format, right? That the the bad guy isn't necessarily like the the like kind of the there is the existential threat in the town where everyone's a fisherman and everyone wants to get the sea monsters, but the like the the bigger the more immediate threat to the kids is this just jerk bully who's like trying to intimidate them out of you know, taking part in this race, which they, you know, everybody kind of has a stake in it, whether that's Julia just wanting to prove herself to be the best and, or, you know, um, Luca and, and Alberto who, uh, have this dream of using the prize money to buy their Vespa and, and drive away. Uh, it just, when, when the, when the stakes are kind of that down to earth, you kind of need that down to earth villain. And so, um, Ercole Viscante is perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he really was. Yeah, I'd say even better. I'd say even better than Sid. Was, uh, yeah. I mean, Sid was one note, but it, so, uh, like, I think Ercole Visconti has a few more layers than Sid. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, though, Sid, he was like, he was really good. He was messed up. Like, he did some messed up stuff with those toys, you know? Oh, Sid. So was he was that. He was, yeah, he was deranged. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't like is Sid in Toy Story three? Like we learned like what Sid's fate was. Like I, I don't know. It's been a while. Am since I wrong I've seen... about that? I just That's... saw Toy Story three once. Oh, you can. I mean, you're almost punishing yourself watching it multiple times. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, That's good to know. It's you know. I don't think. I don't think that the the end the the last twenty minutes become any less emotional like become mo- less emotional the more you watch it but i'm gonna look well, i up. also think with toy story 4 it'd be less emotional too i think toy story 4 was mischaracterized like they called it toy story um they called it toy story 4 but it really should have been called woody's story or something like that okay that'd be yeah like that's, yeah, I, mean, I, that's I haven't seen it it doesn't really feel like a toy story movie it feels like a woody movie co-co-starring co-co-starring the, the the rest of the gang from toy story it just yeah, yeah they could have done it like a hobbs hobbs and shaw kind of way <laughs> to come back to what we were talking yeah. about before the recording uh sid phillips there's a pixar wiki that i'm gonna look up really quick sid phillips <laughs> in toy story 3 sid now a grown-up made a cameo appearance in Toy Story 3, working as a garbage man for Tri-County Sanitation, he is seen on a garbage truck as he comes to pick up the trash from Andy's house, including Andy's toys, who are also in a bag and mistakenly put outside. Uh, Sid is mostly heard scatting to music and is identified by having the same skull t-shirt he wore as a kid. So, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. They had the same kid who did skid- Sid's voice come back and do the voice of grown-up Sid. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, see, that's the thing. Disney Pixar, they really care about the small things, and it shows, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't even... The, 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 the visual details in this with, like, the grass, like, I don't... I don't understand it. I don't know how they did it. It's so it's... real. There was times where, like, especially also, like, a close-up of one of the, uh, like, stone structures. So it was just, oh, my God. Like, that's real. It's just a photo. I don't believe that's oh, animated. Oh, yeah, you can... I don't, I don't believe it's animated. 
Yeah, there are times when like you get a real close up of like some of the old buildings and you can see the grain on the stone. It is Yeah. It's it, impressive. And like there's like even some like water is really, really tricky with computer generated stuff. And there are times where I mean what this for the stuff under the water, um, that's easier to get away with, but where the water like times where you see the water meet the dry land, that part is tricky. Um and it, it it's still kind of it's you can still kind of see in bits. Um, it is tricky to still pull that off, but I mean, it's getting better and better and better. It it, it uh, there's definite there's definite improvement um, detectable. The the more they kind of blend those worlds, the water world and the 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 surface <laughs> the surface world. <laughs> but uh, it is um, it is by no means like I mean it is a as technically well done as any Pixar movie. And just because they're not trying to like break your heart, it, it doesn't mean that I, I, I have a feel because also because Luca is sort of was just kind of dumped on Disney plus. It's not even like the premium where you have to pay extra to watch it. I think people have this feeling that it was kind of just dumped on Disney plus and maybe that there is something to that, but I, I, I do not feel like Luca is a lesser Pixar movie. No, I think it's, oh, it's better. It's better than some of the other ones. It's better than Monsters University. It's better. It's better than a lot of them. I mean, Monsters University is a very low bar. Like Cars. Well, honestly, I think this bar. film may be better than Ratatouille. I think. I think there's some of the ones that have gotten good reviews that that uh, mm-hmm. this is better than, or at least more enjoyable for me, and I think more enjoyable for most people. The characters are so lovable. It's a, it's a very yeah. enjoyable film. It's like it's very breezy. It's good summer viewing. It's it feels like a it feels like a summer movie because it's like kids on summer vacation doing kids stuff and not worrying about school and things. It just there's there's I think there's more to recommend it than like <laughs> my petty nagging about how we don't get a proper name for the sea creatures. But I digress. <laughs> Your twenty minute rant about the. Uh... <laughs> I honestly haven't thought about that, but no, I, I think the fact that it bugged you means it's going to bug some others, so I'm glad that you brought it up. Well, I... Uh, it made know, me worried, though, that, like, you hated this film, and it, it's, it really is. I, I, I hope people, no, I I hope people watch it. I, I'd pick this over um, Onward or any of the other newer Disney Plus ones. Um, maybe yeah, even the... What is it? The Legend? The Legend of... Uh, something? The Rock- Cole? Yeah, you mean? The Cole? Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Legend of Korra. Is Legend of Korra. Is show. Yeah. 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 Well, we're we're a community radio show, so it, you know we can we don't have to be right all the time. Anyway, <laughs> Peter, if people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? As per usual, good old fashioned Mr. Tyrak on YouTube and Twitter, and then Peter Wesley Salmon on TikTok. And that's it. (laughs) And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can download it from our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And while you're on Spotify, you can hear much of the music that you hear on the show, just look for the playlist by searching end credits on CFRU in your Spotify app. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show or on Twitter at End Credits Radio. 
I will be back on CFRU on Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. You can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We'll be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then. Thank you.